Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Travel and Tourism Podcast, my first season. My guest today's first season was in Club Med Martinique in 1976 as a snorkeling and picnic geo. Oh boy. First season, Martinique, 76, snorkeling and picnic. Okay, that's all the time we have today, folks. We'll see you next week. I am just kidding. <laughs> he has done other seasons. Don't worry. We're, we're going to get through this. <laughs> And after that season, he, he actually became an animator, but we're, we're gonna get into that and so much more, okay? He worked for Club Med from 76 to 79, and then returned to Club Med in 91 and 92, which will be discussed at a later date as a guest animator and magician. He is from my hometown of Montreal, Quebec, and he was also the official trumpeter and cheerleader of Montreal's major sports teams, like Major League Baseball's the Montreal Expos and the Montreal Canadiens of the NHL. He also just published a book called Stories for Souls of All Ages that you can find on Amazon.com and everywhere else. And we will talk about that at, or in this installment of my first season. So please help me give a very big warm welcome to the one and truly only Harvey Richard S. A.K.A. Kid Mercury. What's All up, Kid? Right. How are you? Hey, good morning. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's great to talk to you finally. I'm really looking forward to this. And uh I've really enjoyed all of your interviews and I, I appreciate so much all the work you're doing. So thank you, Greg. Well, it's nice talking to a legend, you know, so thank you for agreeing to do this and come on. I really appreciate oh, yeah. it. Right. So are you sitting comfortably? Yeah, I'm uh, very comfortable. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I've got pictures of all my seasons in front of me just to jog my memory in case I forget something. So I'm all set. Okay, all your you mean all your pictures from from the late seventies? Well, not all, or I'd have to like plaster my entire wall because I was a big buyer of pictures, the black and whites. But um, I've got quite a few just in front of me that give me that just that warm feeling and remind me of all those wonderful years. So, yeah, I'm 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 ready. <laughs> okay, great. So uh, we're gonna light this fire. Two Montreal boys. We're gonna get down to it. So uh, if you can take me back in time to before Club Ed. Where were you living? What were you doing? And how did you find out about Club Med? Oh, okay. Well, I was living in a small community called Cote St. Luke, which I'm sure you're familiar with. I had been working just some different jobs after high school. I had started university and then I, I gave that up. My best friend at the time, Eric, uh, we had both trained in martial arts and he applied to Club Med to be a Kung Fu teacher. And believe it or not, they, they actually hired him. And he sent me a picture of him on the beach in Club Med saying like the best time ever. And I was really jealous. And then I got a call from him about a month later and he said there was an opening on the team. Eric was a joker. Like both of us were very, you know, that was a big part of our lives, just pulling pranks on each other and stuff. And he told me there was a job, but it was a janitor's job. I'd have to be cleaning toilets and washing floors and I, I said, I don't care. I'm in because I saw the beach and I was like, I'm going, I'm going. So uh, I got hired in the Martinique, 1976. And you won't believe this, Greg, but guess what day I arrived? I arrived on July 14th. And every GO knows what that means. Yes. And since you're going to a predominantly French village, uh, did you did you have any idea what Bastille Day was really? Because we don't really talk about it in Montreal, Quebec, right? No, I had no, I had never, I mean, I'd, you know, somewhere in history books, I had read something about the storming of the Bastille, but I didn't really know what it meant. But I arrived July 14th that night. Mustafa was the public relations geo. He picked me up and he brought me to the village and it, it coincided with a, an actual uh, GM arrival. 
and there were torches and there were cymbals smashing and drums beating. Someone had a trumpet and I saw the most beautiful lineup of smiling geo faces. You know, the guys, a lot of them were pretty buffed and the the, the women looked beautiful in their parios and their bikinis. And I, I thought, oh my God, I've just died. I've gone to heaven. This is amazing. That was my first impression. And, and the village was decorated as you know, like for Bastille Day, that's, you know, Club Med was a French company from France. I mean, Martinique was the, the, it was amazing. So I had goosebumps and shivers. I was just walking around pretty dazed. Yeah, that was my first impression. And of course there were the fireworks and there was, you know, the buffet table. I remember, you know, I arrived in time for supper and I was like, wow, I, I just couldn't believe, I couldn't believe, I had no idea what to expect. I thought I'd be cleaning toilets, but I never did. <laughs> Well, if they had told me that in my interview, I probably would have agreed to it too, just to be able to go. Yeah. Now, was Eric at this village? Yeah, Eric. Uh, Eric. Yeah, as I said, he got hired for, in Martinique. I don't know how he, how, which process he, if he had to go to the Montreal office or, you know, what he did to get hired. But yeah, I wouldn't have gone down if if he had not been there. We were like, you know, we were best buddies. So, you know, him telling me he was there and you know it's going to be amazing. I was in 100%. And it turned out both of us were like accepted. The The Geos loved us. We, we, we brought something different to the team because of our personalities and our off the wall humor. And um, it was just incredible. I can't explain. I don't think people truly understand how, when you work at Club Med, how it just changes your life. Well, it was almost instantaneous. It was like a sense of total freedom, immediately realizing the nature was there, the beaches there, the then of course meeting fantastic people, the GMs every week, you know, huge arrivals from New York City in Martinique. And yeah, it was uh it was crazy and great camaraderie with uh all the geos. And um yeah, it was a snorkeling uh, picnic geo. It was uh pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, before we don't talk about that, can you just mm -hmm. mention your chief of villages name? Because I don't think I've ever seen this name from the past. Yeah, his name was Jean Pédébosque. I Don't ask me to spell it because I, I wouldn't be able to. But French? He was um, uh, from somewhere in France, and uh, he kept to himself. He was he, he he was the he didn't do very much animation. He was a bit behind the scenes, you know. He let his chief of sports, whose name was uh, Bruno, also a, a guy from France, was very visible in the village. He took the mic a lot. You didn't see you didn't see the chef de village that much in this season. You know, in, in following seasons, it was the complete opposite with all my chef de villages. But my first season, it wasn't. Okay. I talk a lot about culture shock, club ed culture shock on this podcast. So being a Montreal boy, I guess, um, and without going into any detail whatsoever, I guess nothing prepares you for uh, being the picnic geo in Martinique. I guess you were walking around wide-eyed a lot, right? That first season. Oh, yeah. Was there a New York well, Charter back? Was it New York Charter? Like, were the GMs predominantly from New York? Yes. I think, I think there were about four, the arrival was about 400 people or 450. I would say percentage uh, male to female, there were probably about, it, it, it wasn't 50, 50. There were, um, there were more female guests and there were male guests, but it, it was almost, it was almost the same, but uh, yeah, I, I had never met too many New Yorkers before that in my lifetime. And uh, it, it was kind of cool because, you know, they have a, an interesting sense of humor and they're uh, sometimes in your face and uh it was it was great that 
the, the people I met there were fantastic. And I, I, um, I worked off of that. I really enjoyed making people have a great holiday. And I went out of my way as a geo to always, you know, do that little extra. I was like a busy beaver 24 hours a day. I was, I was on, I was on 24 hours. It was fantastic. You're also in the shows too, right? Like one of the shows you put on was actually Pippin, correct? Yes, we did Pippin. I, that was my first time performing. We we do the, the, um, the late night rehearsals, which were always a gas because until it was your turn to like get up on stage and do your number, we were usually just joking with everyone. And, you know, the regisseur sometimes would tell us, Hey guys, be quiet. We're trying to work here. Yeah. Pippin. I was Lewis and Pippin. I, I think I was Pippin's brother. Eric was Pippin. And, um, our regisseur's name was Birkin. Uh, we called him Birkan and, um, Okay. Uh, he had an assistant. Nancy was the chief hostess. Wonderful, wonderful girl from, uh, I think, Connecticut. She was great. And she kind of ran the show as well with him. And um, yeah, I, I love doing that. And also, um, one of the first numbers they ever gave me was uh, Figaro. I'm sure you remember the the lip sync playback where the sound engineer sabotages the uh the opera, the Barber of Seville opera, I was a natural for that. And um, it became my signature number. And uh, I really looked forward. No one ever dared even think of doing Figaro. That was, that's Harvey's number. Don't even ask. Like, that's him. And I, I love doing that. It was a lot of fun. And um, I, I, I tried to do as much animation as possible because it, it just felt natural. As a kid growing up, you know, I always entertained my my brother and my sister and in in, in school, not quite the class clown, but, you know, kind of like, you know, good one-liners and stuff. I was always, I, I love getting people to laugh. So being a geo was fantastic because that that's your setting to make people happy, smile and, and, and joke around and have a great time. And even though you were, you know, working hard in the picnics and the shows, you still found time to do your patty open water scuba diving, right? I did. I had done some snorkeling in my life, but this setting was incredible. Uh, Greg Diamond Rock, La Roche de Diamant. We did some, uh, yeah, I did my patty check out there. Uh, John Fine was the, the scuba guy, was his name. One thing about the snorkeling and the uh, scuba diving, I always loved just being in the water. So being a snorkeling geo for me was, you know, fantastic. I'm saying that word a lot, fantastic. I have to find something else to say because everything was mind-blowing. The fish were beautiful the colors everything you know we we grew up in montreal where did we see this stuff we didn't have beaches we had winters we'd freeze yeah arriving in martinique was was heaven yeah and if we went scuba diving like you did it the right way i i started scuba diving my open water in montreal so you all know about murky lakes rivers and ponds right so you go (laughs) you're you're immediately thrust into you know this nice ocean and sea did you ever but just tell me did you ever go to after you got certified did you ever scuba dive in canada in pardon me in where in canada anywhere after you oh, scuba no. diving okay you're no lucky. i only no? i only uh, did scuba diving at the villages uh okay. i never went on my own anywhere okay um, good don't don't because you're in for major disappointment if you do so yeah. don't do it okay <laughs> <laughs> i'm told to ask you about a story where you met a local uh, martinique kid you taught him English and he taught you Creole. Correct? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's my first season and 
you know, in Martinique, they have that beautiful, well, the, the view of the Tour de Port and you have all the boats that are docked there. There was um, a, a Creole kid named David, I remember his name, and he would he would be allowed to come into the village even though he wasn't a geo. And he didn't speak any English. And he asked me um, if I could teach him a few words. So if he was at the discotheque, he could communicate with, you know, with people at the discotheque. And so I taught him how to say in English, I said, you you look the, the girl right in the eyes and, and, and you smile and you say, you have beautiful eyes. Would you like to dance? And so he that was his I taught him how to say that and he learned it. And then I asked him, would you teach me something to say? And he taught me in Creole how to say, sweetheart, you are the prettiest woman I've ever seen. So I had written this down like on a paper in English because the word was, I'll just tell you what, what actually happened. So I go up to the bar and, you know, the, the women at the bar are called doodoos, um, which means sweetheart in Creole. And I went up to one and I looked at my little paper and I slowly kind of cheat note, looked down and I said, do do aussi plus belle tifi et moins aimé. And she just kind of looked at me kind of strange, like she had no idea what I was saying. And then one of the gardeners came up to order a beer and he was like, really quickly, like really, really fast. And I thought, ah, so this is how you speak Creole. So then I just looked at her and I said, and she broke into a smile. Ah, monsieur, monsieur. And she smiled. And she was she was always my favorite doo-doo at the bar. And, you know, when the bar was crowded, she'd give me like a little smile and I could go up to her and get my drink. Uh, her name was Lillian. And believe it or not, Greg, I returned 20 years later to Martinique with my family and she was still there. And I have a picture of her. It's hanging in my kitchen as we speak uh, with my two sons sitting on the bar with with bar beads around their neck and and her with her beautiful smile. So yeah, I, I learned Creole and I learned more Creole. It was great. Okay. As you were telling that story, I'm glad it had a happy ending because I thought the kid was pulling a fast one on you and I, I saw a slap in your future there at the bar. So I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad you didn't, no, no you didn't do what, what most kids would have done. Okay. <laughs> Okay. So before we move on, do you have any other stories you'd like to share about Martin? Well, that season in Martinique was a learning experience for me because I got to return there two seasons later. That was pretty much la creme de la creme. That's when Eric and I became animators, but I'm going ahead of myself. But no, I mean, that season was, was my first season was just, a learning experience. I felt great. And I felt I never want to leave this job. I'm, I'm, I'm in for life. That's how I felt. So how did you get to Cancun? Did they have a dream sheet back then? Did they ask you? like? Where um, you they next? asked me, they did ask me if I wanted to go to a ski village. And I was like, are you kidding me? Do I, there's no chance I want to see snow ever again in my life. So the answer was an immediate no. I think they had offered me Simoritz. And that was a definite no. And so they sent Eric and I, because they kept us together, because we worked so well together. They sent us to uh, to Cancun. That was Cancun's first winter season. And complete opposite Chef de Village. I worked for Jackie Amzalag. And Jackie was unbelievable in animation. He, wanted, he was always in everything. And um, our animator's name was Luke Distillman who was fantastic. And those two were an amazing duo. Yeah. And 
Jackie loved Eric and I. He we always made him laugh. We we would do these routines for him, and he just he loved us to death. So he'd always make sure you know we were well taken care of. And uh, the problem with Cancun was it was the first winter season, Greg. Excuse me, excuse me, Harvey. Okay, yeah. by first winter season, do you mean because it just uh, recently opened? Like, is that what you mean? Because the village was so new. Uh, if you were there in '77, it, it probably opened uh, recently, right? Is that oh yeah, it was the first. Yes, yes, absolutely. It was the first winter season ever. Okay, it opened you, in uh, yeah either the end of '76 or the beginning of '70. Well, I think maybe '77, but we did the first winter season. Sorry, can you picture yeah. yourself standing on that beach right now? And like, and there's so there's nothing around. There's no other hotels, right? Because I heard Cancun Village was the first, the first one on that point. Is that correct? Like, absolutely correct. And so, wow. I mean, if you if you've been back to Cancun in the yes. last, yeah, okay, so you know it's just brick to brick to brick hotel, hotel. Club Med was right at the point, and nothing. Virgin Beach, just forever. I forget how we got hold of horses sometimes, but we'd go galloping down that beach for 15, 20 minutes. It was incredible. I think I, from what I know a little bit about you, you you're an avid windsurfer or sailor, and the winds there were off the charts. So much so that this winter season was really a challenge because the winds were really strong. Often the sailboats couldn't go out. I can just close my eyes and see them buoyed, you know, looking like they're going to get smashed by the waves. If you walk by the bar, I I know they've changed it, but the swimming pool was there and then you had the bar very close to it. And on any given night, all the bar napkins, the cocktail, olives, everything would be flying off the bar. I don't think they had planned for, you know, for these, this, this kind of weather, and the only drawback as well for that season, which I found of all my years of being a geo was really challenging. Sometimes the weather, you just wouldn't get sunshine for at that time. I don't know if it's changed, but, you know, when people are coming from France and they're there for three weeks and if, you know, the first five, six days are, you know, cloudy, you start to hear grumbling and mumbling. And we did our best to always make people happy, but you really you wanted sunshine and sometimes we wouldn't get that. You could get a period of a few days in a row with no sun. And that was a challenge, but a great season. Jackie was so much fun to work for. What a guy. Yes. Okay. So because of, I had Howard McCarley on, he he spoke very highly of Luke, Luke Distillman and his presence on stage. So here you have Jackie Amzalag, you know, Luke Distillman, two powerhouses, but tell everyone who was on the snorkeling picnic team. Oh, they might, uh, yay. They might know. Yes, yay, uh, who later yay. became chief of village yeah. himself. <laughs> yeah, which years later, when I found out he was chief of village, I was like, unbelievable, because at the time he was pretty reserved. He was like a quiet guy, really kind hearted person. I think he was on sailing. Uh, I think sailing, if I'm not mistaken, I think he was on our sailing team. Yeah, a wonderful guy. And um, yeah, I was really happy to hear. Quite a few people that I had worked with over the years went on to be uh, chef de village and uh, have great positions with with Club Med, including Rod Rod Frankel and um, Mustafa, I believe, also had become a, a, a chef de village back then. So, yeah, we, we grew up in the 70s as geos. Uh, a lot of Club Med royalty was right beside us all the time. Excellent. And after Cancun, you and Eric returned to... Gagné, right? Oh, yeah. 
we uh and you know, like in basketball, they sometimes say, oh, this is the dream team, you know, when they, they have the Olympics or this is the greatest team ever assembled. I'm not bragging. Well, I am. I We had a team that was just lights out. Eric and I became co-animators. So we were the two animators. Our chef de village was, his name was Mark Bernard. Very nice person. He let us run that show. He'd grab the microphone from time to time. He was an amazing water skier. Rod Frankel was the chief of sports. And Jonas, I don't know if you ever heard of Jonas. Jonas Le Cartier was our regisseur. And uh, Jonas and I remained really good friends. I lost contact with him. And then I found him again. He lives in France. He's still performing in the cabarets. This Jonas, so that season was incredible team. And yes, even though I was animator, they still asked me to run the picnics with Eric. And, uh, you know, I could talk for days about that, but we'll just move on. Thank you. Yeah. So you and <laughs> you and Eric were co co-animators. And so I think you used to do this gag. Is it true that you would arrive as two, like you, you and Eric would arrive as Rocky and Joey, two, two oh, workers yeah. and were, were the GMs, were they ever aware that, so they weren't, the GMs weren't aware you were GOs, right? No, no. What, what, uh, what, ha this was one of the greatest things I've ever, we, we, we invented these two characters, Rocky and Joey. Yo, Rocky, hey, Joey. Eric had this, we both wore silk shirts and we had jewelry, uh, open shirts, you know, chests popping out. Uh, I had a pair of broken black sunglasses with missing one lens and, uh, Eric had his, this, uh, stogie in his mouth that was never lit. This, this, uh, the cigar and we just wreaked havoc at the airport in in the sense that the security guards allowed us to sneak into the line when you're showing your passport so we'd arrive and you know very loud mouthed we were talking really like well mostly eric was the loud mouth i was sort of the quiet brother and we did everything to create a scene at the airport joey would uh uh, run up to the front of the line, everyone, you know, back in those days, we didn't have, you know, computers, stuff, uh, cell phones. So people would line up at the airports as well, in the 70s anyways. And, you know, uh, uh, an arrival could take two hours at the airport to process everyone, especially when it's a 400, 500 person, they'd wait in line to get their keys. Eric, I mean, sorry, Joey would cut right into the front of the line and say, I don't know about used people, but we paid in advance. Like this kind of stuff. He'd push me into the carousel that was turning. And, hey, uh, uh, Rocky, that your bag? I had this little pink bag. So we did this for the whole time. It ended with us getting into a pretend fight with Mickey, who was a good friend of ours. He was the chief of traffic. And the people wouldn't let us on the bus. They were, like, angry with us. They thought, these guys are obnoxious. Long story short, cut to the ending. We get, as as the buses leave, people are cheering because Mickey has pushed us over some luggage and the people are all cheering. We get into Mickey's car, the traffic car, and we get a different route to the village. Our chef de village is giving the orientation speech at the Martinique Theater. You know, it has a hole in the top of it where we, you know, let balloons down for shows. Two ropes drop down just at the end of his speech. The little pink bag that I've been holding the whole time <laughs> drops to the floor. And down the down the to the horror of all the guests, down the rope comes Rocky and Joey, who then Mark 
introduces, I, I, I hope you people know that uh, Rocky and Joe are really, Harvey and Eric are two animators and people's jaws dropped. And then they, the applause started and people would actually wait till the next week if they were there for a couple of weeks to just see the people's reaction. It was, that was one of our best gags. Yeah. They must have, they must have loved that, the New Yorkers, right? Well, uh, Mickey would sometimes, they, they loved it and hated it in the sense that Mickey sometimes would pull us over and say, guys, uh, you see that big guy? Uh, he said, you, you stay away from him. He's offered to knock you out. So <laughs> so we, we we definitely had to be on our toes. That's and, true. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, That's very, very kind of him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, they became our best buddies the whole week. You know, often they'd come up and say, you guys completely fooled us. We, we were so blah, blah, blah. It was great. Um, yeah. And the other thing I just want to mention is people would get off the airplane, they'd find the hostess. And the first thing they would say, where's Harvey and Eric? Where do we sign up for the picnics? I kid you not. Word had traveled about these wonderful picnics and people would actually land and say, where's Harvey and Eric? Where do we sign up for the picnic? So I kind of like to feel like I'm one of the godfathers of that wonderful era. Well, tell me a little bit about the um, the Golden Angel. Okay, so uh, beer drinking. So again, for people that don't know, it's not for volume; it's just for speed. So just I want to make that clear. So it's just how fast you can chug a beer. But what what what's the yeah. Golden Angel? Well, Rod ran such a great sports team, and you know you know Olympic Day for the sports. So I mean, as animators, we'd be involved a little bit. We'd get involved, you know in some of the sports stuff, the great fun about being an animator, we were always in costume and I love that. I just love dressing in different costumes. So when it came time for the, the finals of the Olympic day it, at nighttime, the two teams would have, you know, chugalugs, you know, they pick their best drinkers and they'd go up against each other, blah, blah, blah. And when it came time to do the last thing, Rod would announce on the microphone that, hold on everyone we have a mysterious challenger from the mountains of martinique please give a warm round of applause a welcome to the golden angel and i'd come out in stage in my white cowboy boots a gold cape a golden sort of mask just over my eyes or sometimes a black hood and i didn't say anything i'd knock like a wrestler i'd knock down some chairs and throw things off the stage yeah, I I I would ch I could chug a beer like like lights out. I never lost a beer challenge. The only time once in my career as the Golden Angel, I lost to a guy from New Zealand years later in in Tahiti, uh, who could he could open his throat and I almost tied him, but he won. So yeah, the Golden Angel was a lot of fun, and um, you know you also had the Geos dressed up as uh, Rod was there, and then the two. The two guy geos were dressed in blonde wigs with heavy makeup and skirts and everything. They were like the Frauleins that were serving the beer and their little, like we had a beer garden sort of, you know, ambiance. And you know how that, you know, often at the club, they they had us dressed up in um, all kinds of, you know, fishnets and, and you know, wigs and everything. It was uh, It was a lot of fun. So I have great pictures of some of these guys dressed as women and they look just awesome. So it was, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> okay, sir. Uh, also pertaining to Martinique, is it true that you would weigh the food the, the guests ate and was the gag that, so you would charge them by, by weight or why, yeah. why, why, why was, okay. So I was just curious why, why you were doing that. <laughs> 
Well, and, were the, and were the New Yorkers happy when you did that? <laughs> no, they were shocked because it was an all-inclusive, apparently. And what we would do is we'd wait for the next morning at breakfast. And, and you know, from your career at Club Med, often there's animation going on at breakfast or, you know, we'd wake up early and do an entrance to the, the restaurant early in the morning. Well, Eric and I did a lot of passages and a lot of gags. And this particular one, we thought up, it wouldn't it be funny if we grabbed their plate, you know, because people pile on the buffet plates, you know, the, the food at Club Med was incredible. And of course, they're piling on all this food on their buffet plates. And we would grab it out of their hands. We had a scale. I would calculate. I'd say, okay, like two cucumbers, uh, blah, blah, blah. And the person would say, what are you doing? What are you doing? i say, well, we're weighing it. They say, well, what do you, why? I'd say, well, the first morning it's not included. And they were, no, no, no. We paid. Our travel agents told us, you know, everything's included. So that was one of the gags that we did it every once in a while that always was funny. Another one that we did was we... I don't know if all the club meds had these beach chairs, but they were sort of like an S curve. So you'd lie in them and you could roll, lean back. We put numbers in black letters. We put numbers on all the chairs in the village, the, the beach chairs, the one, the lounge ones that you lie down on to suntan. And on the first morning after the orientation meeting, sometimes we'd uh, give numbers, random numbers to people. And they say, what's this for? They say, this is your beach chair. <laughs> so the next morning, the next day, you'd see them looking for numbers occasionally. People enjoyed this stuff. Once they realized it was just a joke and a gag. I mean, back in those days, we could do, you know, the luncheon gags where, you know, the, you know, the egg toss. I know they stopped doing them years later, but in, 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 the, in the late 70s, we could get away with a, a lot of stuff that later that maybe they changed it because, you know, some people didn't find it that funny, but... You know, we did the egg toss with a ping pong ball. You could win a, you know, a bottle of champagne if you got the, you, you bounce it off your forehead into the, into the bucket, you win a bottle of champagne. And then of course, for the last toss, we give them three chances. The last toss, we use an egg and, you know, splat. We had a towel ready and we had like, you know, most people just really loved all these things. It, it made their trip. Where else do you, where else do you have this kind of exposure into like humor, beautiful nature, a great team of GOs that are always making you happy. And uh, Club Med was, was the best thing ever. It was the, the best university of life anyone could go to. If you were a GO and you did seasons at Club Med, you've gone to the best university in the world. That's how I feel. Okay. And after Martinique, now, you know, I want, I want to jump to your next season, Maria, but I know you took a bit of a break. I know you went to LA. So if you want to maybe quickly take us through that process right before we jump to Maria. Sure. So in that season of Martinique, we met um, two people from California and one of them, well, I won't, I won't use names. I'll just say one of them had been married previously to the, um, the president of Universal Studios. And she saw Eric and I on stage and she got to know us and she said, you know, you guys would be perfect with the California, you guys were amazing. You'll be perfect in California. You know, I can get you on television. You could be in movies, that kind of thing. And so we were like, oh, that could be cool. Like, okay. So after that season in Martinique, actually at the end of that season, I don't think I had ever mentioned, we did, a, we had time off. 
we did a sailboat trip through the whole Caribbean, which was one of the most beautiful things I've ever done. We went from uh, Martinique, St. Lucia, uh, St. Kitts, St. Bart's, all the way down to uh, Puerto Rico. And that, that trip opened my eyes to the beauty of sailing and being on the water. That was probably the second best thing I've done in my life next to being a geo was that sailboat trip. After that, we flew to Los Angeles and she had arranged for us to meet a casting agent. And we were in a meeting at Universal Studios with two assistants of this casting agent who had discovered Burt Reynolds and had discovered other people. She she never came down. She always sat in the Black Tower. They said that's the big building at Universal Studios. And about 15 minutes in through our interview, uh, the assistants looked at each other and they said, just a minute, guys. And they called her down and she came down and met us. And she thought, she says, I'm working on this new show. It happened to be Chips, the California Highway Patrol show, whatever that was, because Eric was blonde, really good looking blonde haired guy. And I had sort of my black hair, mustache and afro. She said, you guys would be perfect for this, blah, 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 blah. And then just casually she said, and you have your green cards, right? And we both looked at each other like dogs when they hear a high-pitched sound and our heads tilted and we went like what's a green card and that just killed everything and she said oh i can't help you right now uh, give us a call when you have your green cards which we eventually got but that was our our quick chance of stardom and uh it came and went in a flash <laughs> wow okay <laughs> all right that's a that's a great story by the way <laughs> Now let's move Thank to you. Morea. Now does uh, Jackie Amzalag, the chief there, does he somehow contact you and ask you to come there? Or how, how did you get there? I think we may have contacted him because we found out he was there and he said, come down. And we came down as uh, co-animators again, Eric and I. And Tahiti was so different from Martinique, but so beautiful, so incredibly Oh, the, okay, the smell in the air of the flowers. First of all, I flew from Paris to Papayete. I flew Montreal, Paris, Paris, Papayete. When I arrived in uh, there, they put me on a single prop plane. I was the only guy there. Uh, Eric had gone, he had been in California, so he flew a different thing. I'd been back in Montreal. And picture this, you're sitting next to the pilot, you got the headphones on, you're in the clouds, and you, the pilot looks over to you and says, hold on. And he dives down out of the clouds. And there you see the two mountain peaks, uh, Cook's Bay, and I forget the name of the mountain. And you see the lagoon and you see Tahiti, Morea, and you think this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. The plane lands as we get out. Well, as I get out, these Tahitian women are there in full costume and headdress and put the lay flowers around you and the smell was uh, tiare flowers i believe beautiful smell that was my first moment of arriving in in morea and um it was a it was a very different vibe it was uh well let's just say it was a more conservative village than martinique was but it was still a very beautiful place um had a lot of fun there that was my last season. I, I'm trying to think of, uh, I would go jogging sometimes with the tennis pro every morning, um, about a two or three mile jog. Just the mountains were beautiful. Everything was, well, it was Tahiti. What do you expect? The, the, the only bad thing I can say about that experience was I got a week off finally. You know, back in the day, we never had days off. 
So we're working full time. Near the end of that season, Jackie gave us a week. Eric and I said, go to uh, Bora Bora. So we flew to Bora Bora. And the first night I was there, I got uh, bit by a mosquito and I contracted the dang, uh, whatever dengue. it's called. Yeah, dengue fever. And, uh, yeah. And I, yeah, exactly. And so basically I never saw Bora Bora. I was pretty much lying on my back for about six days with a high fever, but um, Tahiti was great. I learned to do the uh, Tahitian dance. I made friends. I always made friends, Greg, with all the locals. I made it my business to go out of my way to get to know them, their families. The two guys, two two guys that were they were like part of the music team, the drummers. Same as in in Martinique, uh, it was the guys that helped us prepare the picnic bonfires, where I became le maître de feu, the master of fire, because I could get really close to the flames closer than anyone that became my nickname the fire master well in Tahiti they taught me how to do some of the dances and uh, I just loved wearing the you know the flowers on my head and it's Morea back in 1978-79 it was very undeveloped compared to what I hear now those days were really special because we were kind of groundsbreakers for the future geos you know working the late 70s was you know, everything changes every, every, as you would know, you know, every probably generation of geos, there's, there's changes that are made. There's, you know, different protocols, different everything. So I feel like the seventies was kind of like the Woodstock years of, you know, I, I regretted never going to Woodstock, but I always thought to myself, well, I missed Woodstock, but I had more than three days of fun and music. I had like years and years of, of fun and great times at club mad. So I'm, I'm very happy with that. Excellent. I would like to segue uh, just a little bit to your book, and then we'll go back to Club Med. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Sure, okay. with pleasure. So if you could tell us about stories for souls of all ages and A to Z spiritual journey, and who or what is a Kiki Kalahari? <laughs> well, Kiki Kalahari is the artist that I found to do the illustrations for my book. So here's how this book was created. After the Club Med years, I returned to the islands with my wife at the time and my two young children, my two boys, Samuel and Olivier. And we lived in Cabarete, which I'm sure if you're a windsurfer, you've heard of the amazing yes. wind in Cabarete. We, we, my wife was a windsurfer, Anne, and she, uh, we, we went there and I had become a magician after Club Med. And uh, I, uh, I was trying to do magic at the hotels. And I brought my big Apple computer with me. It was the flower power one. It was really big. And um, I started writing stories for my kids. At the time, they were about seven and nine or uh, six and eight. And I just wrote these stories, uh, one story for each letter of the alphabet. That's why I call my book an A to Z spiritual journey. The stories take place, some of them take place in countries I saw when I was a geo. Others are just in my travels. And they're mostly animal stories. Each one has a different lesson. Okay. And the A to Z spiritual journey, since there's 26 magical bedtime stories, I'm assuming because 26 letters in the alphabet, correct? Correct. You are, Greg. So each letter is a different story. Ali the alligator, Buzz the bumblebee, all the way to Zigzag the zebra. And each story teaches some kind of cool lesson to whoever's reading the book of you know, everything's like a fun-filled adventure. It's with animated characters and their friends. They learn 
you know, valuable life lessons that which like touch on compassion, courage, respect, caring for the environment. So I, I wrote these stories for my boys, but I put all these little spiritual hidden gems in there. So even the adults that have purchased the book now, because there are people that are just buying it even, you know, to give to their kids or grandkids, but there are some that are just buying the book because the, the stories are really, they're uplifting. And what is a Kiki Kalahari? So I had written this book back then. It went in a drawer and it gathered dust. And then years later, I sent it to a few different publishers who loved the stories, but they all were going to say, well, we have an artist. We'll use our artist. And I was, no, 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 no. This is my baby. I want to do it my way. So then became a search, which took over three years till I couldn't find any any artist that really matched my stories in my mind and imagination. And someone said, why don't you go on Facebook and join a writer's group, illustrator group, which I did. And the first day I opened that up, sure enough, I went through three portfolios and boom, Kiki Kalahari. I looked at her artwork. I had shivers and goosebumps. And I said, she's the one. And I texted her and that began an almost two and a half year journey of working together. I never met her in person. Everything was done. Uh, we only spoke maybe two, three times. It's mostly done, you know, with emails back and forth. And I was very particular. Her artwork is incredible. Anyone who's seen the book, they they just keep saying they can't believe how beautiful. Different styles for each story. So like in some books, you often get the same illustrator using the same theme. She changed every story, has a different kind of thing one of the stories you'll like it's um ramon the rooster it takes place in cabarete and it's about a, ro a rooster who's a uh, a really good windsurfer but i won't i won't give away the story but it takes place in cabarete and even in that story i sent her photographs she used some of the actual pictures inside the artwork uh it, it's just it's a wonderful book i've had really good reviews so far i'm doing my book launch uh soon um yeah, people can Google it and just find it by putting, you know, stories for souls of all ages. I'm really proud of it. And I'm really enjoying speaking to people about it and people buying the book and I'm signing books. So it's it's a form of animation continuing in this part of my life. I have two questions. First question, is there a Greg the Gorilla story? <laughs> Maybe in the next book. <laughs> oh, darn it. Okay. And just question number two, no. <laughs> is Kiki Kalahari from Africa? Because I'm just, uh, I don't know, I don't know why I'm drawn to this name. It's so yeah. unusual. <laughs> uh, she is from South Africa originally. Oh, okay. And she lives in Germany now. Okay. And uh, I hope one day to meet her. In, I know for sure one day I'm going to either go to Germany or I've offered to, once the book picks up a little more steam and I'm doing, you know, uh, book launches here and there or book signings, I would love to bring her down. For one of those, but I have to organize that. This is all new. It just got published about a month ago. So I'm on a new journey. Okay. Uh, we'll make sure to put all the links where to find the book in your show notes. So do not worry, listeners. Please check it out. Thank you. Uh, and now if we could segue back to Club Med, I, I don't want to leave anyone out. So is there anyone that you'd like to mention we haven't mentioned yet? I mean, I know we went by village by village and you already spoke of some great names, but is there anyone that we left out? Well, Eric was my... We didn't leave him out. He's he's part of my soul for the Club Med journey. Jonas, who lives in France, was my best buddy there. There were quite a few. There were so many GOs uh, that became great friends. Nancy, uh, 
No, I think I think I've pretty much. Uh, we, well, my friend Mickey, Mickey Natsani was from um, is from Israel originally, and uh, he was the chief of traffic. So that was my little click. Was you know Eric Jonas, Mickey uh, Richard in my first season, who went on to become uh, a really famous hairdresser for the stars in Beverly Hills. Too many people to name, but I'd like to remember. Uh, Constant and Prisca were the two gardeners in my first season in Club Med. They'd sometimes come to the picnics. Uh, the Dudus at the bar, all the uh, iriti, like the local people really were the ones that uh, really touched my heart deeply because I'd get to know them. Sometimes I'd go eat at their homes. So if I've forgotten anyone, and I'm sure I have, you know I love you. So it's all good. <laughs> That's true. Don't send them any angry emails, people. Okay. <laughs> what are, what are, I'm sure you've had time to think about this as I have, especially in the winter. What are the three things you miss the most about Clement? The thing I really miss the most is the total sense of freedom and love and, and always performing. That would be my number one. The, the, the freedom aspect back then, just you felt like you could do anything. It was a time of just amazing creativity and yeah, so I would say I miss this total sense of freedom and love. Next would be the laughter and the camaraderie of my fellow GOs and pleasing the GMs. And the last would definitely be discovering new countries, cultures, and, you know, the beautiful nature and people that it came with. So those those uh, pristine beaches and those, those uh, smell of the flowers and sunsets, you know what I mean. Yes. Okay. You know, I'd like to have you back to talk about your second story where you return to Club Med, but if you've had a good time during this, and then, you know, I would like to have you back if you're up to that, you know, because your story continues. Well, yeah. Maria, you, you know, we won't say too much, but you do go back in 1991. A lot happened sure. in between that I'd like to know, but uh, if that's okay with you, you're more than invited back. Oh, wonderful. Thank you very much. I'll accept that invitation uh, immediately. <laughs> all right, sir. We're coming to the end of the hour. Uh, i ask you one, one last thing, or maybe it's a two-part question. Is that okay? Yeah, with pleasure. Okay. Well, I'd just like to know if, you know, given that amazing story you told us, if you would have done anything different, you know, if, are you glad you you, you took the plunge and went to Clement? And if anyone's listening out there was thinking about applying, would you recommend it? Wow. I have no regrets. It was the best decision I ever made in my entire life. To this day, it's still working with geos and people from all different cultures and all over the world. Best decision I ever made. It it uh, trickled down to when I had children, being a father and having that sense of freedom and love for nature and sharing that with my kids. And if anyone's thinking of becoming a geo. I'd say go for it. You'll at least get a day off. We never did. And it's a great, it's a great job. You learn about life. You meet people every week. There's hundreds and hundreds of new GMs. Well, I know they call them something else now, but you know, stop what you're doing. Take a break from this crazy life we all live in and go work at Club Med because you'll never regret it. It's it'll be the best thing you've ever done. Could not have said that better myself, sir. It's <laughs> <That is> true. <laughs> Now, would you like to uh, thank us or uh, thank our listeners and send us off with a little musical accompaniment? <laughs> sure. With pleasure, Greg. And thanks again uh, for doing this. Uh, I just want to say um, charge. Go, everybody. Have a great time at Club Med. Can you give that to me one more time? Da -da -da -da. Sure. Da -da 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 -da. <laughs> thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you all next week with another episode. Bye. Adios. <laughs>